mechanics that some of them have the best touch and feel in the world but a lot of them get by on a lot of them get by on luck and i don't know that luck is going to do it anymore i think it's going to require specific training very expensive training and that training is going to have to be paid for and come out somewhere near the end just to deal with all the plastic on cars the car doctor if you can find plugs with that thread pitch to put in those ports and push down on the master. The master's got to hold pressure. If the master doesn't hold pressure, then you've got a bad master or there's still more air in it. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, the car doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Hey, it's time to start your engines, or maybe it's time to wind up your electrical motor. I'm not sure what I can say anymore at the beginning of the show, but we'll stay with start your engines for a while. Ron Haney and the car doctor here. Phone number is 855-560-9900. Here to take your calls and answer your questions. More information at cardoctorshow.com. I upgraded software at the shop this week. I had to um, renew my AVG uh, license for antivirus and, and internet security and all the things that we normally do. And um, in the midst of this, I had a listener send me an article that they had been reading uh, by Chester Dawson. Chester Dawson, I'm sorry. And Chester is a writer for the Wall Street Journal. And it's a great story that's titled Car Hacking Could Be the New Car Jacking. And it seemed to be very timely for all the things we're talking about in terms of autonomous cars and electrical cars and the way computers are just taking over the car. And we thought it would be a great time to bring Chester on board and talk to him up here. Chester, welcome aboard, sir. And thanks for taking the time today. Well, thank you, Ron. I'm glad to be uh, with you and your listeners. Uh, you know, the article starts out, as vehicles fill up with more digital controls and Internet-connected devices, they're becoming more vulnerable to cyber criminals who can hack into those systems just like they can attack computers. I- I- is it really an issue? And I don't say it like that, Chester, but is it really an issue? Do we have to be worried about driving our cars now? Well, it's kind of an issue now, but it's going to be a big issue um, in the not-so-distant future I mean, right now, it is technically possible to hack a car. It's been done, but it takes um, a lot of doing, and the payoff is is pretty minimal. Um, But what's happening is that uh, as cars um, get, you know, more and more software, and in fact become more software-heavy than even hardware-heavy, it's going to open up a lot more potential uh, for hackers to, A, get access, and B, potentially profit from that. So, um, you know, for your average vehicle on the road today, um, you know, there are some vulnerabilities, uh, but we're really talking about, you know, over the next, uh, you know, say, couple of generations of cars um, when these things are going to come right out of the shop um, with a lot of whiz-bang functionality, but also a lot of potential vulnerability. I was reading another conversation uh, on a forum, and they were talking about how they feel the, the, um, the vulnerable or one of the vulnerable spots will be or already is our cell phones. Because our cell phones are connected to the cars, and then is the cell phone got the right protection on it? And, you know, are we going to have to put more patches and more protection into the cell phone that talks to the car so that nobody else can talk to the car while we're driving it? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, that's part of this um, move into greater connectivity. Uh, You know, vehicles are increasingly coming with their own Bluetooth modules and Wi-Fi hotspots. 
and even built-in modems. Um, but to maximize um, the, the functionality of that, um, you really you know want to have a smartphone. And you know maybe it's just uploading your music, or it's uh, you know somehow um, looking at the diagnostics of your vehicle to see you know how much gas you have left till the next station, or what your tire pressure is. I mean that's all things you can do. Um, but when we get you know beyond that into things like maybe you know, being able to see the line at Starbucks from your car before you even pull into the drive-through or, you know, order a book on Amazon um, through your cell phone, which is plugged into your your car. I mean, all, all of this is coming and coming soon. Uh, but each time you, you add a, a point of contact uh, or connectivity, there's a potential um, for a vulnerability. And we all know how often our, our cell phone software has to be upgraded. It seems like, I don't know, a couple times a year at least. Right. I'm having yeah. to download the latest uh, update to the OS. Well, guess what? That's coming to your vehicle, too. General Motors, your article goes on. The largest U.S. automaker set up a dedicated cybersecurity group three years ago that currently numbers 80 people. In July, I guess that's July of this year, GM hired two cybersecurity experts who directed the GPAC in 2014. Um, G- GM's chief security officer, Jeff Massimilla, I guess if I'm saying that right, we have re-engineered our vehicle development process to include cybersecurity considerations from the earliest stages of vehicle design. This is changing the way they're creating vehicles. Absolutely, yeah. The entire architecture is uh changing to to deal with the um you know ever increasing number of ecus that are going into vehicles um, to allow them to be more connected and ultimately you know it's powering a lot of additional safety features and and even self-driving uh ultimately um but the issue is that um you know i mean actually what his comment is they're trying to kind of build the software systems from the ground up instead of jury rigging them, which is essentially what you've got today. I mean, today in most vehicles, as, as you well know, uh, you, through the OBD port, you can plug in a lot of additional functionality. Um, a lot of major insurance companies are actually encouraging people to do this because they can monitor your driving patterns and then potentially you can get a break on your insurance. But what's happened is that, you know, cars today were never really designed to be parts of that open architecture. I mean, the idea was you drive your car into the shop, or maybe you had somebody who was a good tinker and knew how to do it, but you know the cars were never thought to be part of a big you know network of vehicles that were all going to be connected. But we're quickly moving toward that. So um, what GM is doing, and, and GM is not alone. Um, all the big car makers are doing this. They're kind of th- trying to think um, more like Tesla and looking at um, uh, you know transportation uh, from the software vantage point very early on. So they don't have to kind of go basically design a car and then think about the software and the software vulnerability as an afterthought. Um, but it's easier said than done. So uh, at least they're moving in the right direction. Right. And, and, you know, some of what they're trying to do makes a lot of sense. I'm sure you've read the reports and seen the studies, you know, and autonomous or, you know, cars that will talk to each other. They're saying that if they can achieve that in the inner cities, there'll be no more traffic jams because cars will be coordinated. I've, I've, I've read the reports about, a, um, you know, a delicate ballet as they all weave through the intersection without stopping or slowing down because they'll be able to stay within so close of each other without hitting each other, and it'll all move along. But that interconnectivity makes a concern because if you hack one, you have the potential to hack the other because it's it's all part of a network and they're all just rolling computers at that stage of the game. You know, I also read a report that talked about, and I'd love to get your thoughts on this, not just if it's ever going to happen, but more likely when. Are we just waiting for it to happen, Chester? 
Uh, you know, uh, the experts I talked to said it's inevitable. I mean, once you get enough connected cars on the road, that it makes sense, either from a nuisance perspective, just having a, a lot more targets out there, or potentially, you know, from uh, so-called black hat hackers who are in it for some kind of financial gain. Um, now, that doesn't necessarily mean, you know, they'll target your credit card information, although that's theoretically possible as well if you've got, you know, it's set up to, to purchase services over your uh, telematic system. But even think about something like um, the locks on your doors and the smart keys. I mean, if they can get access to an entire line uh, of, of vehicles, uh, maybe it's in a fleet or maybe it's like every certain make and model of a certain year, uh, and they can effectively, you know, ransom uh, your, your ability to access your car or maybe even get out of it. So there's a lot of, um, you know, once this catches on and, you know, there's enough vehicles out there to make uh, a worthy target, then you're going to find more hackers looking at that. And even, you know, not to, um, you know, uh, be a fear monger or anything, but um, the other latent danger out there are state-sponsored uh, actors. You know, we've seen many big hacks uh, recently, even the latest one, and there's a lot of speculation as to who is behind that. Uh, you know, it, it may become another form of warfare in the future, um, and obviously that's um, something that both the companies and, and ultimately the U.S. government may have to look into and find ways to protect against. I mean, I guess the good news is the, the fact that, you know, and, and your article is very specific and it's great for all the listeners out there that want to get a hold of it. We're talking to Chester Dawson of the Wall Street Journal. Um, you know, at least they're aware of it, and they're, 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 they've obviously been working on this. All the car companies, the government, you know, all the authorities – they're working on means to prevent this from happening. Is there is there anything in your mind that the the listeners, when they go out to purchase a new vehicle, with, with they really have no control over it, right? I mean, it's just going to be dependent upon the engineering that goes into the car that they buy. Well, there is reason for optimism, as you say. I mean, uh, there's great awareness um, about the risks and also the opportunities, and the fact that they are starting to design cars from the ground up. With this in mind, um, you know, is is something that says that they're taking it seriously. And uh, for every added functionality it offers drivers and passengers, um, you know, there is a risk, but it's one that that's um, you know it, tolerable. Um, so I, I think the probably the, the the thing to keep in mind, even more than you know, what if somebody gets in my vehicle, is, is what are they getting access to? And I think the one thing that really needs to be worked out um, probably between industry and, and maybe consumer groups, and, and certainly I know um, the, the government is, is interested in this, is privacy. If you do have a lot of data in a vehicle, um, you know, if, whether it's hacked or not, there's this issue of how much you want an automaker to know about you. And it's not just things like where you're going through your GPS or how you drive, you know, do you blow through red lights or, you know, whatever. Um, but it's also things like, you know, your medical data, your biometrics, and that's increasingly going to be part of new vehicles. They need to know whether you're alert enough to allow the car to do partial self-driving. They're going to look at, you know, all sorts of things, your blood pressure, all of that's data that could potentially be exposed. So there's going to be various levels of opt-in. Um, and if you want all that functionality and you're comfortable with that, you know, you're, you'll opt in for it. If you're not, theoretically, you should be able to opt out. Now, that's Again, easier said than done. Um, think about your iPhone or your smartphone. You know, yeah, you can opt out of stuff, but you're missing out on a lot, too. So right. I think it's just important people go into it with open eyes. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I recently attended a class real quick, and then I'm going to go, is, um, and they were talking about how the car companies 
are, are going to be selling some of this data as marketing, maybe not for specific people, but maybe it'll show that, you know, you know, 800,000 people prefer the left rear corner of the driver's seat or the, you know, where they sit, how they sit, where their head was, like you say, blood pressure, biometrics, a lot of that information that they're going to obtain, they're going to now use for marketing to decide what things to bring to market, to sell to people, to you know, you never thought of your car as a as a as a cultural device where they're going to be, you know, obtaining marketing data from. But that's part of what this, if I follow along with what you're saying, is, is going to create, correct? Every automaker is doing it. And there's an old saying in Silicon Valley, if you're not paying for the product, you are the product. So right. a lot of this is going to be offered drivers free, but, you know, you're going to have to trade in some of that data in order to get access. But for the time being, we shouldn't all rush out to buy 62 Dodge Darts, and we shouldn't be afraid to drive our cars. At least we know they're working on it. Right. No, I'm not an advocate of of, of us all becoming Luddites, but it's just important to know about it. Right. Perfect. Hey, Chester, is there a place, is there a way the listeners can go and read this article in full? Is there a website or something? Absolutely. You can go to www.wsj.com. Uh, or you can look me up on the Internet. Um, I, I'm linked uh, to that and, and other stories I've done on the topic. Chester Dawson, and the name of the article is Car Hacking Could Be the New Carjacking. Chester Dawson, D-A-W-S-O-N. Well, listen, um, we appreciate you taking the time. Can I just ask you, as, as, as things unfold, can I ask you to reach out and keep us abreast? And I'm going to put you on our watch list, so to speak. Nothing. Don't take it personal. Uh, <laughs> but, you yeah. know, as, as things evolve, I'd love for you to feel free to reach out, and we'd love to continue to inform the listeners like you did here. It was great. Absolutely. Happy to do so. Thank you, Chester. You have a great afternoon. You too. Take good care. I'm Ron Annie and the Car Doctor. We're coming back right after this. Hey, Ron Annie and the Car Doctor. And uh, once again, I want to say thank you to Chester Dawson from the Wall Street Journal, WSJJournal.com, that article about car hacking. We appreciate him taking the time today. You know, technology is with us just everywhere with automobiles. I was reading an article, too. Um, all data. All data raises the bar with new interactive color wiring diagrams. They've now added color wiring diagrams. Uh, 300,000, 300,000 non-OE interactive color wiring diagrams to their automotive digital repair solutions, all data repair and all data collision. You can view and print multiple diagrams side by side, highlight specific wires. This is the thing that got my attention. You can highlight a specific wire and track it across all the pages in the diagram series and hide non-highlighted wires. Look at how important wiring diagrams are, are, have become or are about to become. And, you know, in, in reference to what Chester was saying about the advent and introduction of modules into cars and how it's growing in leaps and bounds, you know, those modules talk via wires. And even with CAN multiplexing and digital signals, they've still got to have a certain amount of wires in cars. It's nice to see the folks at All Data doing what they're doing, more information at alldata.com. But, uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're stepping up the game, too. It's Auto repair. It's always changing, always evolving. So uh, thanks again to the folks at All Data. Let's go over and talk to Larry Lewiston, Idaho, and some questions on four cars. We're going to do four cars at once. All right, Larry, welcome to the car doctor. Let me let me wake up a little bit for this call. Larry, how can I help you? I'm only kidding. What's going okay, on? Okay, we got we got four challenges for you today, Ron. Good. Uh, what I was wondering is, is I'm interested in a code reader, and the the vehicles that I've got, or a 1994 E350 motorhome with a 460, right. a 95 uh, crew cab with a 7.3 diesel, uh, an 01 uh, F150 with a 5.4, and an 04 Explorer with a 4.6. And I was kind of wanting to go to a code reader that would be able to go back as far as the 94. 
right obd and the the problem yeah the, the problem is you've got some obd1 and obd2 stuff there so okay. you've got to really you know you've really got to look at it from both perspectives what i would probably do is i would get out on ebay or amazon or see who's selling a used scanner from you know whatever generation we want and look specifically for the capabilities of the two the 94 and the 95 and try and lump that together and and okay. the, the reason i say that is because that was 25 years ago let's say 94 2004 2014 yeah, it's coming up on 23 years ago right it's it's right. not it's not like that technology is going to improve or change that much. It's not like there's going to be a lot of software updates to that scan tool. So anything you find use of a decent you know OTC Snap on, uh, you know whatever it was of that generation back then, that at least if the manufacturer is still around, if the tool needs to be repaired, it can still be done. So, all right. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, too bad you didn't get to me at the beginning of the year. I probably threw out a couple of OBD one scan tools. Um, I would have been glad to give them away. Uh, you know, that being said, all right, at least then you've got the diesel covered and you've got your coverage for OBD-1 and you're okay. The reason I, I would say to do it that way is because to go into the OBD-2 stuff, you know, the O, what was it, an O four and an O one? you said? Correct. Okay. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of juice in, in a good OBD-2 scan tool. There's a lot of information that you can glean from these cars. And to purchase an older tool that barely does OBD2, I'd rather see you buy something more current and newer that uh-huh. that will give you the ability to graph, look at freeze frame, look at some of the other things that we can do with OBD2 that make diagnosing the problem easier. All right? Uh-huh. Um, but at the same time, you want to get something with a little bit of manufacturer-specific information, too. All right. Do you, sure. do, you, do you know the difference between the two when I reference it like that? OBD2 and manufacturer specific? Yes. Okay. Because, you know, it's it's just that important. I always look at OBD2. I get a check engine light. OBD2 is where I'm, is where I'm looking every time. And that gives me codes. Ah. That'll give me basic information. It gives me freeze frame. I want to get in deeper than that. I'll take a look at the rest of it by manufacturer specific and, and you know tag it along that way. So um, let's try that. Let's see what you find out there. If you got any other questions, Larry, give me a call back at 855-560-9900. We'll do what we can for you. I'm Ron Anini and the Car Doctor. We're coming back. We're right after this. Ron and Andy, the car doctor here at 855-560-9900. Give us a call. Let us know what's on your mind, and we'll talk about it here. Uh, we're live Saturday afternoons, 2 to 4 p.m. Um, i got an article I want to talk about, but maybe not right now. Maybe not today, about boomers steering the industry from uh, Anthony Emilio out there in Park Ridge, Illinois. And it's interesting to see how the baby boomer generation is still guiding how the car companies bring cars to market. So we'll we'll do that either this week or next. But right now, let's go over to our, uh, I think this is our far west coast affiliate out there, Walter, out in Hawaii, with uh, some questions about a 2004 Nissan Quest. Walter, welcome to the Car Doctor. Welcome back to the Car Doctor. Walter, are we having Thanksgiving dinner together this year, or what's the story? Well, being a member of the family, we may as well. We may as well. So That way we can cuss at each other like families do. Yeah, absolutely. So what's going on today, kiddo? 
two quick things. One, earlier caller, you said that an organization was IATM.com? IATN.net. N, not M. Right, N. Oh, okay, you know, no wonder I couldn't get it. Okay, yeah, that's IATN.net. enough. IATN.net. Uh, Go ahead. The daughter's 2004 Nissan Quest. Okay. Needs a, uh, a uh, the dealer and also an independent mechanic had told her that it needs a new timing chain. It's right. a chain, not a belt. Is it humming? I, apparently, I'm not sure what the, all the circumstances, but it, it's either ticking or humming. It's right. making a noise. It whines. That, yes. Yeah. yeah. And my question is, oh, two part. Number one is, can it be done without you know lifting the cab off the engine? And number two, if it can, how difficult is it? Um, the Quest engine is sitting sideways, is it not? I'm trying to remember. A I Quest. believe it is, yeah. yes. Um, it's tight, but I believe you can do it. Um, I know when it's longitudinally, when it's the other way, you can definitely do it. It's not an issue. As a matter of fact, I'm doing one Monday um, just to show you where it's at. It's tedious. It's time-consuming. Uh, there's a couple of little tricks of the trade that you need to follow to do it. Uh, what does the dealer want to do the job, Walter? Uh, he estimated two to three thousand dollars. Yeah, he's in the game. There's there's easily fifteen hundred dollars in parts. I can tell you that. I've I've got the job. Really? Yeah, oh yeah. I've got the job sitting on my bench. I'm doing it. The, I'm uh, doing it Monday. I thought I I saw the. Uh, the two chains and the guide, well, or three chains and the guides right. listed for like 150 bucks. There's, I must have looked there, at the wrong thing. There's three chains. There's a set of guides. You're going to do a water pump. You're going to do a thermostat. Uh, you're going to do upper and lower radiator hoses. You may want to consider replacing a radiator in it, depending upon its age, because mm-hmm. it's uh, you know it's it's going to be part of the process. You're going to do some. I'm sure it's in it. the factory one. Yeah, it's it's. You know, there's there's typically there's some seals and gaskets. Yeah, there's every bit of twelve to fifteen hundred dollars in material there. Um, oh, you know, that's a whole new ball game yeah, there. I thought I could probably do the whole job for under two or three hundred dollars. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, now I realize you've got all the time in the world, and I'm not I'm not being facetious. I'm being serious. Um, you know, I know you've got the time to sit there and tinker with it, but I would be concerned about you getting yourself in over your head. And mm-hmm. and you Me know, too. doing the, yeah, um, you know, doing the wrong thing. The uh, the reason that it's making noise is because the nylon chain has the nylon guide rather has worn, and it's it's in danger of or coming close to where it's going to rub through, and eventually mm-hmm. become a bigger problem. I think I would tell you to pass on this one, Walter. You know, okay. I I don't I don't want to see you get hurt. Uh, yeah, you know, it's it's. It would be different if he had done a few. Um, I would probably have I've to. I've done several and, belts. I've just not done a chain. Yeah, and the, the, you know, it's it's. There's one main chain, and then there's two separate chains that drive the cams off of the other. Right. Um, yeah. And, and there are some very unique things about that. Um, not to say you know, don't be afraid of it. <clears throat> Excuse me, mm-hmm. don't be afraid of it. But you know, if if you can avoid it, yeah, I price the whole job out because I think parts are going to be more than you realize. Um, you're definitely going to, like I said, you're definitely going to want to do a water pump while it's out. And, right. you know, when you're pricing parts, where are you pricing parts from? Nissan or someplace else? Someplace else. No, 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 no. Let's play the game fair. All right. We're doing open heart surgery. Do we want to Do we want to put the best possible parts in that we can? Or do we want to use the cheapest junk from places on the Internet that were questionable origin and sources? 
Okay. You know, Good that's, point. that's, you know, I can price out any job cheaper on the Internet, but right. I, I don't know the origin. I don't know the source. I don't know where it came from. i got to be buying from a brand, uh, you know, from a name. I've got to be sourcing it from. And, they, you know, they don't put the brand name on the on the Internet ads that I looked at. Right. You know, they just, just call it a kit. Right. And you know why? Because it'd be hard to say, you know, buy this part, white box brand. Uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> that's, and, and that's what we call it in the industry. It's a white box. We don't know where it yeah. came from. We don't know who made it. We don't know what the quality level is. We just know that it's cheap and it works. And you know what? Listen, sometimes, and this is how you got to look at auto repair. Um, I've got a, I'll tell you this story real quick and then I'm going to go. I've got an 05 Acura with 100,000 miles on it sitting at the shop right now. It, it, it blew the radiator. It took the radiator out, which took out the trans cooler which, because the customer kept driving, probably took out the trans, all right? So at the very least, this otherwise very nice Acura TL that's 12 years old, I'm sorry, MDX that's 12 years old, needs a radiator, maybe a transmission. Customer's going to scrap the car, all right? And what I said was, you know, think about selling it, because there's somebody out there that would consider... They'll do a radiator. If it needs a trans, they'll do a trans. Somebody out there will consider tinkering with it and working on it. To some people, that's a valuable commodity, and this is where the Internet fills the gap. They'll use a cheaper part, a cheaper substitute, because people don't put a value on their time. What you've got to ask yourself is, all right, and I get it. Dad's trying to help his kid. I understand that 100%. What is your time worth? That's number one. And number two, all right, how many times are you willing to try and redo this job? If if you knew that white box part was just as good as the OE part and it lasted 100,000 miles, I'm all for saving money. But until I've got definitive data that proves and supports that, that tells me that, yeah, it will last that long and it will work as well, I'm not taking the chance. I'm not taking the chance with you. I'm not taking the chance with me, and I'm not taking the chance with the customer because, you know, there's there's people don't want that. You know, the concern has to become, and as a repair shop owner, I'll go one step further. As a repair shop owner, if somebody comes in and says, what's the cheapest you can fix my car? I tell them zero because I'm not doing it. I don't look yeah. at price. I look at how how right can I do it. Um, you know, then we got to talk about safety. If If you do the chain wrong, if the chain breaks, if something fails, that's a bender. And then you've got bigger problems. And what if your daughter's trying to, you know, on an off ramp on the highway? On the, on the, I'm sure they've got highways in Hawaii, even though we think it's all you uh, kind know, of, kind of. But you know, there's places they can go 60 miles an hour, right? So, yeah, but you have to stop real quick. Yeah, well, and we don't want her to have to stop real quick at the wrong moment because the engine stalled because the chain fell off or the chain failed, and mm-hmm. you know, it's it's a complicated enough procedure. You want to use the best parts you can get. Okay. All right, kiddo. Uh, One other thing, Ron, is, you know, I didn't start working on cars until I was in my 60s, but I do feel confident that I could do the job. Okay. Uh, But but now I don't know whether it's worth, you know, paying the amount of money for the Nissan parts or not. So on a scale of 1 to 10, you'd probably give it an 8 against using the... uh, Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. The aftermarket parts. Yeah. Okay. You know, unless unless I knew the outcome, unless it has a proven track record. And I think, in all fairness to you, 
the dealer's got to give you a better price than two or three thousand dollars. Yeah. All right. You know that's a big. Well, if difference. he's got a th- if he's got fifteen hundred dollars in list price for the parts, I right. mean, right. It's you know, and it, again, I've I, maybe they don't do a radiator, maybe they don't want to do a water pump, maybe it's a thousand dollars in parts. All yeah. Right? Um, well, the water pump definitely has to be done. Uh, you know, you wouldn't. I wouldn't take it down that far without doing a water right, pump. Right, because it's it's down under. And I'm there. certainly not going to take the, the primary chain off of that without changing the two cam chains. Right. I mean, and, or and, and replacing the tensioners. And are you not going to do a thermostat? And are you not going to do radiator hoses? And then at that point, if the radiator's original, it's 12 years old. Why aren't you going to put a radiator in it? Yeah, I definitely do the hoses. That's right. for sure. So you know, everything yeah. is systematic repair. Everything is continuance upon everything else. So you know, you got to get some better numbers. I mean, I'm working. Okay, on, I'm gonna I'm, call her up and I'm gonna call her up and tell her to listen to this podcast. You know, Monday, um, Monday. Uh, you know, it's a it's a Nismo. All right. So Monday, this is a Pathfinder Nismo that I'm doing. Maybe it's a little different than mm-hmm. a Quest. But my point is, it's still got to be twelve to fifteen hundred dollars in material. Yeah. It's still a day's yeah. labor. There's eight nine hundred bucks. It's got to be every bit of twenty five hundred dollars. The dealers, yeah. the dealers, done that job uh, more than a few times. They've got to be able to give you that quote off the top of their head, or they've got to give you a range and explain the what's and the what fors. All right. Got it. So good luck to you, Walter. Thanks, Ron. You're a good dad. All right. Aloha. You too, babe. Eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero. Ron and the Car Doctor. I'm coming back right after this. Welcome back. Ron and Andy, the car doctor. Um, let's get over and talk to David in Michigan, 2013 Ford Fusion, and some uh, questions. David, welcome to the car doctor, sir. You're on at 855-560-9900. How can I help? Yeah, all right. Thanks for taking my call. So okay. anyways, um, so that 2013 Fusion, it's got the, uh, what is it, the 1.6 or 1.4, okay. uh, four liter. Right. And... Um, it's got about uh, ready to turn 60,000 miles. It's always ran really good, just like brand new. And uh, I always um, warm my car up in the morning. You know, I let it run for a couple minutes before I take off with it, even in the summertime. It don't matter to me. Okay. And uh, it always, uh, so when it's sitting there idling, it always idles real smooth. And now I'm finding that it's starting to... Uh, not, you know, idle so smooth anymore. Now it only does that when it's cold, when it warms up, and it's fine. Right. And um, so it's starting to, you know, not idle so smooth like that when it's cold. And um, I'm just wondering, I've, I've put, I ran a couple bottles of fuel injector cleaner through it. Now this was, that's been over the past couple of months. I, I had didn't have anything to do with me trying to fix that problem on my own. Right. Um, I just thought, it, you know, just maintenance. Like just sixty thousand miles. Yeah. It might be a good idea to run some fuel injector cleaner. But anyway, so uh, this is. I'm pretty uh, meticulous about my car, you know, and I like to keep it in good shape and stuff. So I'm wondering uh, what you think that problem might be. How can well, I, get it? I, I I think the fuel injection cleaner is a good start. Um, can I ask you what brand you used? Yeah, um, the Berry Man. Okay. At uh, O'Reilly Auto Parts. Okay. And did you see any change uh, after using the Berryman? Well, you know, no, I can't say I noticed any big power increase. Well, not so much power. Did you notice a difference in the idle quality? Because that was your original complaint, right? Not really. Okay. The idle idle quality. Uh, no, um, 
Not that I really noticed, no. Okay. So, and there's no dash warning lights on, right? Yeah, I do I do have the engine light on. That came on like uh, two days ago. Um, I had had my car into the dealership. All they did to it was put a, put a uh, in-cabin uh, air filter in it for me, so they didn't even lift the hood. It was, right. you know. But I think it was just maybe just a coincidence that after I had left there that day, then the engine light came on. Um, uh, but yeah, I have I have the engine light on now. Okay. And, uh, let me let me so, let me so let me say it like this, David. You ever get sick? You, yep. ever, you ever get sick on a Friday? I don't know. <laughs> but you, but you didn't feel good on Monday, and it took five days for you to finally get sick. Okay. So the car is kind of the same thing. All right. You know, it could have had something brewing for a month, and it just took a right. while for it to show up. Right. So I would tell you the very first thing you want to do is not necessarily – I would tell you you've got to know why the check engine light's on. You've got to know what the code is. Right. Well, I'm, I've got an appointment I'm going to take it in Monday morning to the dealer. Okay. So do already. this. Do this because I'm up against the clock. Get the code, and if you don't like their answer, either way, call us back and get in the queue for next week's show and – Tell us what the code is, and if they haven't fixed it, I can help you diagnose it accordingly. We can go from there. But not knowing what that code is, that's, believe me, that's three-quarters of the problem with today's cars today. you got to start the diagnosis. When the car's trying to tell you something, you got to listen. So do that and give us a call back, 855-560-9900. Ron and Annie, the car doctor, coming back right after this. Welcome back. Ron and Annie, the car doctor, kind of winding it down. Quick piece of email. We haven't done any emails today. This one comes to us from Frank. Ron, something to think about. Hi, Ron. I only partially get this mad rush for electric cars and even less for autonomous cars. But um, Frank makes some really good points here. He says, for electric cars, how are they paying the state fuel tax used to maintain the same roads that all vehicles use? They get tax breaks, HOV lane breaks, toll breaks. I have asked state legislatures the same question, and as usual, they act brain dead, or maybe it's not an act. Watch when New Jersey's fuel tax revenue falls short of projections. And he's right. How is that going to, you know, we're not going to have the gas tax. We're not going to be selling as much gas for autonomous cars. Do they know to move over or slow down when a police service vehicle has its flashing lights on to help another motorist? Do they know to stop when they're involved in an accident and swap insurance info? Do they know to pull over safely and stop if a police vehicle wants one to pull over? I want to know, if, what if the thing is doing 55 miles an hour in the fast lane? Will it be smart enough to pull over on its own and make, you know, that's like I'm from Jersey. What is it with, I got to ask you New York guys, what, what is it with New York drivers, all right? Every time, all the New York drivers, you guys think the left lane is the slow lane. I don't get it. New York and Connecticut drivers are the absolute worst. I've come to this conclusion. You guys all think, you know, the left lane is for accelerating. Last part, sorry if you've already discussed these issues. But my internet service runs about as fast as a 10-year-old. You go watch your knuckles, Frank M. You know, Frank, excellent points, and it makes you wonder about autonomous vehicles. Um, you know, how will they interact and intertwine? And, yes, Mr. Ray has some closing comments. Real quick, we got 60 seconds. I was just going to say, with uh, the New Jersey drivers, this from somebody whose book at least 10 years ago who didn't define right-of-way. Well, huh? Because in New Jersey, there is no right-of-way, and if there is... The drivers certainly don't well, pay see, attention in, to it. In Jersey, we believe the right of way is if you're in the way, get out of it. So and that's that's <laughs> that's kind of how it works. It's like move over, I'm in a hurry, I gotta go. But you know, it doesn't fly. 
autonomous cars to be continued, a subject that uh, we'll be watching very closely in the coming weeks, months, and years. Till then, till next week, till next time, I'm Ron Anany and the Car Doctor. The mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. See ya.